Golf technology, yes, it's progressed in the last decade, but it's way overhyped and overpriced. Like when over 50% of golfers still score over a hundred, that stuff's not doing much for them. And we're back with another part train. I'm one of your co-hosts, Seven Singer. Coming in hot, other co-host, Matt Cermak. How are we doing, guys? What's up, guys? Thanks for joining another part train. In case you're new, the part train, we use golf to help you live a better life, or at least make it less frustrating than golf. Learn how to get better, achieve peak performance on and off the course from PJ Tour Pro's best-selling authors, CEOs, coaches, and more. We had a CEO on today's we show. We'll get to that in a second. But first, a little word from our partners and friends over at Roback. Love those guys. So, Matt, I think you wanted to talk about their vests. It's getting chilly where you're, where you're at. Yeah, I mean, in L.A., I think it's 73 and yeah, sunny. It's pretty and, nice, actually. People are getting worried. But it's, uh, <laughs> hey, it's getting chilly at night, okay? <laughs> it, it was sunny today in Chicago, 46. We love the sun. But, guys, go check out. They've got some new vests. I think they, uh, the Tavern. Uh, the Tavern line of their new other vest is uh, kind of an Augusta green that is yeah, beautiful. Nice. Um, you know, so if you got to start layering, look at those vests, look at those long sleeve tees. Um, they're continuing to put out more and more product. And, uh, That's a good point, sir. Their, their performance t-shirts have been out for months. They sold out so quick. They were, they couldn't get them fast enough. Yep. They're finally back. seems like they stocked up on them. Guys, if you don't have, I know it's starting to get chilly, <laughs> But we're trying to stay active, you know, especially as it gets colder. The, their performance tees are the best workout shirts. I don't wear anything else now. But the long sleeve tees, especially for this time of year, is so perfect because you can wear it lounging around the house. They're tight in the forearm and the shoulders, but they're loose. Like, yeah, you know, they're not too tight in the mid area, which I like. It's, and well, you can yeah, work out in them. Fitted. You can wear it under your golf shirt. You can just lounge in them. I mean, I go on walks with them. I mean, wow, goes on walks with them. It's unbelievable. I go on walks with them. <laughs> so, guys, here's the deal. <laughs> go to the show notes of this episode. We'll put a link in there uh, for new Roback customers. Tap that link, and it'll auto apply in your cart after you go through your checkout. You'll get fifty fifteen percent off, um, and try out some Roback gear. Okay, yep. just do it. Um, um, they're the best. Okay, we just had Gabe Coin from Sticks Golf, CEO and founder of Sticks Golf. And yep. guys, we don't do, we said this in the show, but we don't do equipment too much. Um, but we thought this was really interesting and different where the golf ball, I, I keep coming back to the golf ball uh, comparison. The golf ball was kind of disrupted by Kirkland and Vice Golf. And people were finally like, yeah, I don't need to spend that much money on a golf ball. I'm going to lose it anyways. And brands started coming out of the woodworks and <laughs> performing just as much well as Titleist, right? Nobody's done that with the golf clubs. And Sticks Golf said, hey, why is it that to get a new set of clubs, I mean drivers, fairways, putters, bags, <clears throat> excuse me, why does it cost two grand, right? Right. Well, Gabe said, out of his own experience of trying to find a set, he said, why can't we do an amazing set under $1,000? And I, I believe it's $799. And For they're sure. all matte black. I've tested them. I was surprised by how well I hit them. My girlfriend loved them. Yep. 
I thought well, I it was a really good episode about entrepreneurship, yep. challenging the status quo of the industry. What, what did you take away, Sarm? Well, and Ev, I think with us starting, you know, doing the part train for four or five years now, that's what we wanted to do, right? We're not, you know, whether it's disrupting, but kind of finding your lane, finding your angle, you know, and, and being able to kind of impact people within golf, right? So he's totally got a lane. Uh, they look good. They, they feel good. They're not going to break the bank. And for all these, if, even for some, if we got new listeners, people that have got back into golf this year because of COVID, you know, where yeah. golf's one of the few activities you could do, and you're looking to update your set, you know, but Perfect spend two thousand dollars. Check out sticks, guys. They're they look great. We've got a bunch of people who are testing them out. Um, but but you know, this shows a lot about you know, like we said, entrepreneurship, and and in it was a great look in to starting a golf company. Too. Yeah. I think the listeners are going to enjoy that. Totally. What you a know. perfect time too to start a golf club company. Um, but it's STIX, guys. It's sticks.golf. So go check it out. It's a great interview. But before we go, remember, guys, we've started to see your reviews come in on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, we really appreciate that. Keep doing that. Really, first of all, we love seeing your feedback. And second of all, it really helps us out. So if you if you're liking the podcast. Um, and you want us to do more of them, keep reviewing. It really helps. And then go follow us on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, and TikTok at the par train. Um, and we'll love and to. Guy, yeah. Guys, when you're writing your re- reviews too, encourage Evan to hit it straighter. If you got any tips for him, oh, you know, he's working on hitting it straighter. So oh. feel free to, you know, reach out yeah. to Evan. He'll be in touch too. Because Yeah. Go ahead and put in a review for yeah. Evan to hit it straighter. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. <laughs> He's working hard right now in his game, guys. Especially That's true. The That's true. So it's it far. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for uh, joining. We'll see you guys next Sunday. We've got a lot of fun stuff planned. And uh, yeah, enjoy the ride. That's what it's all about. Thanks, Take guys. Take care, guys. Gabe, thanks for joining. Uh, I want to start you off with a very simple question uh, Would sticks in your mind be here today? without Kirkland's signature? For sure. I don't think that was really much of a factor. Uh, I, I didn't look at Kirkland's signature as someone who validated this space for us. Okay. So I would think yes. Okay. Yeah. The reason I ask is because it seems like Kirkland, in the golf ball space at least, was one of the first disruptors where – you know, I forget if it was my golf spy or one of the those sites basically did a test, right? We've probably all seen it. And it said the Kirkland signature is performing pretty much very similar to Titleist Pro V1. And it yeah. all flew off the shelves and everybody was like, holy <laughs> shit, let's get a Kirkland signature. Then yeah. came Vice golf balls. People were okay with playing Vice. And so it seems like over the last three to five-ish years, in the golf space, at least, people have become more comfortable playing brands that they didn't necessarily associate with one of the leading brands. They're, they're open right. to new brands. And I just thought it was interesting that maybe that factored into maybe the equipment space, which hasn't been done yet until you guys. Yeah. Um, you know, the golf buyer uh, is interesting. I think there's a lot of people that basically are data heads and if, if they can see stats that say Kirkland signature performs just as well as other on a series of factors now 
I think there's quite a range of sophistication in, in the golf consumer where one might just see a headline that's like, Kirkland Signature is just as good as, uh, as Tyler's probably one and they're sold. Uh, other people might get real down in the data of like, well, what's the, what's the spin? What are, all the, what are all the factors? And if you can really prove it to me on a, on a science level, then I'm in. Um, and then you got other golfers that are, that just kind of don't even believe that the ball is, is going to change their game or that they're good enough sure. that it's going to matter. That's, that's me. I've never bought a ball for performance. I've never bought clubs for performance. Uh, I've never been sold on the whole data approach to this because I think there's an audience much like myself that's just not good enough for it to matter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Gabe, speaking of speaking of data, you know, over the, I think it's close to 30 years, we really haven't seen handicaps go down. So but yeah. you've got this ever-changing golf technology world. What's the next? What's the latest and greatest? Can I gain more yards? It's kind of a disconnect, right? Like it's, and maybe talk about that, right? Yeah, that's really, that's really interesting uh, perspective that you would think if, if all this hype is true, <laughs> shouldn't we see guys getting down into the negative double digits more often if this is all true? And you're right. Like, I've heard talk of like, you know, some course designs are suddenly uh, becoming a problem because of technology and bunkers that used to be a problem people are just driving over now with the technology, but also with even some of the, um, the bodybuilding things that, that some of these guys are doing to just <laughs> their drives. Uh, it's changing the game. But like you said, even with that, it does over the last decade, if you looked at the average pro handicap, like you said, and all the advancements that are hyped constantly, did that make an overall significant difference? I wonder what that stat would be. Um, has it dropped one stroke in a decade, the average pro handicap? Yeah, right. And it's, it, 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 it's you know, anytime you're looking at the past, courses change in that right. nature, but there's such an obsession with the modern golfer, which you know a lot about, always looking to update their clubs, spending a lot of money, right. and they're really getting better, right? It's just a funny... Yeah. A now, funny there's, there's also a funny part. It's a mental part of this, too, right? Where, I mean, I've even thought about it. You know, we've talked about it on the show many times where I struggled with a big miss with the driver the last year or two. And I'll admit, like, there's a part of you that just wants that quick fix right? Yeah. Just something fresh, something new, something new to look, to look down at. at. To look at right? yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, and sometimes that works yeah. because it's just something fresh and you can kind of compartmentalize it, put it into the club. You get a new club. It feels exciting. Right? Sure. Decided to hit it again versus before you were kind of dreading hitting it. That alone can make a difference. Right. But it's interesting to see like how big of an impact that has, right? Versus yeah. people actually believing that it's well, the technology says they're going to get better, but some of them might just want something new. Well, and that's one of the things that we kind of play up. We don't, we don't try to compete with any brands on, on the data level, scientific, physics kind of, kind of sales pitch. Uh, but we do love to play up what you're talking about. Like one of our taglines is look better, play better, right? Just this idea that if you feel good about what you're swinging and, and it gives you confidence, like that will take strokes off your game much more 
than some some scientific factor of the angle of the head or the or the flex of the shaft or whatever, right? Well, yeah. I think Gabe, I think you're so right, and that's a very old school way of thinking when we think about golf. Look good. I think there was one more: feel good, play good, right? Yeah. And yeah. right, so you're, it's kind of like as opposed to you know, especially with putters, we see right all these wild looking designs and hey, well, that's going to help you line up better. That's going to help you set or set up better, but it doesn't even feel good, but people are buying it. <laughs> you know, well, I think, so I, think I think you really, you guys are tapping into something that's extremely important, especially for the mental side of the game. Right. I, I would love for you. I know you've talked about this elsewhere, but I think it's important to at least give people why sticks golf is here, yeah. but then maybe even more importantly, I want to hear the steps. Like, I want to hear month one, okay, we want to do this. I think there's a market. I think there's a huge opportunity. How quickly did you go from that to starting to see prototypes? Like, what were the actual steps to get to where you are today? Yeah, so the genesis was me shopping for golf clubs and not liking any of the options. Um, I've golfed for over 20 years. And I've only, I only ever, have ever bought one set of golf clubs. Mm. Um, so I started, when I first started, I got a, a set of clubs at a rummage sale. That's like what I started with. And when I, when I bought my first set, I showed up to Big Five uh, with, with kind of the same shopping criteria I have today. Is, is the price right and do they look good? Right? Because at that point in my game, I didn't, I didn't know uh, and I definitely didn't believe in some kind of like, oh, I'm going to pay more to get some higher tech deal it was like i want something that looks good and the price is reasonable so i bought a set of clubs played them for 20 years uh never took golf too seriously but enjoyed it um had a had four kids at a young age so that definitely limited my time on the course um and as i started to get back into it as the kids got older it was like okay i don't i don't believe that the latest technology is going to vastly improve my game but i do feel like it's time for a new set right some of my 20 year old clubs are just wrecked. I'd lost like my nine iron because I played a lot of pitch and putts and that was like the one I used most of the time. And so, and then my pitching wedge was, was super uh, dinged up because it'd been 20 years and that's, that was one of my favorite clubs. Um, so yeah, it was like time for a new set and I go shopping and I'm kind of blown away with what I see. Sure. I can buy a full set starter set for with a bag, everything for like 250 to 400. Um, but I don't like how they look. And I know that if I show up to a course with those, I look like Joker, who's like, it's his first round. And I've been playing for 20 years. So I don't want to buy those clubs, Gabe, just to be clear, those are those the sets you mean where they, they don't even have every iron in the bag. It's, it's like yeah. a nine, a six and a pitch. And like well, a putter and a driver, one of those? Some of, or? Some, some of those are like that, but there's probably some full sets too, right? Yeah, you can get full sets. I mean, okay. Strata by Callaway, you can get for 250 to 400. Got it. Top Flight's got them, I think. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, you show up to a course with those. And, and for me, that mental piece that we already talked about, I don't feel good about that. <laughs> yeah. I don't feel good. It doesn't feel like an upgrade if I go by Strata. Right. Mm hmm. It feels like your entry level, uh, what you should buy if you've never played before just because they're cheap. Like that is the yeah. value prop of the strata set. They're cheap. Um, now, granted, they're not bad technology. Um, 
when you look at the gap between strata and the more expensive clubs, this was my dilemma was I can spend 250 or I can spend two grand. And like, if I go play around with both, I'm probably gonna get a very similar score. So what is the value prop to me besides all this height and maybe design? Like I'd maybe be willing to buy uh, a, a more expensive set because I like how it looks and just that perception. Like I'm gonna feel better on the course People are going to take me more seriously if I've got a nicer top brand, better looking set of clubs. Um, but to me, it felt like, you know what? This feels a lot like what was going on with Gillette and the razor industry before Dollar Shave Club came along and said, $8 for a cartridge? I think we can, I think we can make razors uh, for at least half that, right? And, and go all the way down to a dollar uh, a cartridge. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking at this and, and that was my thought. I was like, man, this, this industry seems ripe for disruption and it seems, um, it seems like an overpriced commodity. Golf technology, yes, it's progressed in the last decade, but it's way overhyped and overpriced. Like when over 50% of golfers still score over 100, that stuff's not doing much for them. Yeah. Right? So that was the genesis. It was like, looks like there's an opportunity for disruption here. It's been done in other industries. Take Casper and mattresses, Dollar Shave Club and Razors, on and on and on of all the direct-to-consumer brands that we see out there that just say, man, the behemoths running this industry, um, they're, they're getting away with something. <laughs> right? They're getting away with overpriced commodities. So that was the genesis. And so from there it was, uh, is this true? Like, that's my assumption is that there's a lot of people out there like me who basically want their first upgrade, don't want to buy a starter set, but don't want to spend two grand. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to over the last year that I get, I get like three sentences into this pitch and they're like, uh, that's me. Like so <laughs> many people. Yeah. Literally, I was on a, I mean, I was on a call yesterday uh, with the CEO of a, of a banking company and He's like, yeah, I'm probably going to go buy a set. That's me. Like, I've got this super old set. I look like a joke when I come out to a course, but I'm not spending two grand. You know, these guys who play a handful of times a year, really at any income level, don't want to drop two grand. It's true. You know? Yeah. I mean, before we get into the next steps, because I'd love to hear, you know, the evolution. It's interesting. You make me think of my own experience, right? Where I haven't thought about this in a long time. When I first started playing golf, it was when I gave up baseball um, in my senior year. And I remember, you're right. There's like this moment where you're like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get into this game, right? And there's, no, there's really nothing else like it where maybe there's like, you know, outdoor s- sports where you're, you get like a nice surfboard or a mountain bike or something. But, right. but you know, there's nothing like the golf set with all of the moving pieces. So I remember walking into a golf store and getting a 200. I remember looking at all the sets on the wall, right? That's like my options is what's on the wall. And I walk up and I am like, well, I like the, I like the look of this. I like the look of this, but there's no way I'm paying eight to $900 on my first set of irons. I don't even know how to play yet. And I, I haven't even started looking at bags and drivers and putters and it's, it's overwhelming. But I remember seeing a Nicholas set, and I don't even think he makes them anymore. Um, 
But I remember knowing the name Nicholas, obviously. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess this is kind of legit. It kind of looks like the other irons, you know, very simple, like steel yeah. finish. And, and that's what I went with. Um, but I remember there was a big moment from that set to it's like, okay, that's okay. It's my first set. You know, I'll just kind of get my feet under me. But then going from that to my next one where I got rack irons from TaylorMade, that felt like, okay, I'm doing this. Yeah, I got my big boy pants. <laughs> and you guys are providing, it's, it's interesting though, because you guys are providing an option where people can feel like they're finally doing it, but you're giving them permission to be casual about it in the sense that they don't have to spend their entire savings on it, right? Right. Okay, yeah, so. They're not, and they're not buying this, this promise that this thing's going to hit further straighter, you know, it's the latest science. They're just like, they're just, they're buying, you can have a great looking set of clubs that is the, basically the same technology, the, the same base technology, uh, and they look, they look amazing. Right. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's taking yourself seriously, not breaking the bank. But another thing, Gabe, that I think you were kind of maybe getting to, and Evan and I were talking about off air, when I when we grew up playing, or when I grew up pl- playing, like it, there was only so many brands, and you you wanted to have you had the right brands. You knew what the brands you played: Titleist, Galloway. You know, there was a couple others, and then same thing for clothes. But nowadays, being different is kind of fun in golf and kind of cool, right? Whether it's from a clothing perspective, but even from a club perspective, right? And I'm sure you guys have talked about that, but it really is, like yeah. there, you know, because maybe there's a lot of competition, but there's a un- there's a un- uniqueness that people really that I think the consumer likes, right? Yeah, and I think the millennial consumer does value uniqueness that is intelligent, right? Mm. I feel smart when I sleep on a thousand dollar King Casper mattress, and I didn't get duped by a four thousand dollar Sealy Posturepedic. You know, I feel sure. like I'm, I, I feel like yes, it's different. And, and it doesn't feel like a discount brand. Be like, I'm a smart shopper. I feel like millennials want to feel that way. I buy Warby Parkers because Ray-Bans at Lens Crafters are 350 and I can get Warby Parkers for 100 bucks. And mm-hmm. there's this, there's this different, um, there's this different cred- like individual credibility that comes with that. I use a Harry's Razor because because old guys use Gillettes and they pay too much, right? Like I think there's that. That whole field, that's the same thing with golf, where you're like, well, my dad used Cowboys, my dad used me. Those are the old guy clubs. No matter what model you get, you feel like you're using the old guy thing. Sure. Uh, yeah. And so I think, I think we have an opportunity to appeal to this younger demographic because it is the new smart. I mean, we've gotten comments on the site before where people are saying, oh, man, I'm so glad I found you. I was, I was looking for a Kickstarter golf club brand. You know, I think that the millennial consumer loves Kickstarter brands that are just focused on disruption, doing things differently, and taking a new approach to uh, any vertical. Sure. Go ahead, Em. So, okay, Gabe. So we've talked about the need. We've talked about the opportunity from a business standpoint. The golf industry, I mean, this is where my mind would go. And I'm an entrepreneur, too. So this is where my mind would go. Yeah. If I was thinking about starting a golf company from an equipment standpoint, I, I think, and this is probably why there hasn't been someone like you guys yet, where I think it's easy to think about 
the supply chain, yeah. right? The relationships that you need, um, where golf is kind of this almost incestuous industry where if once people are in it, they're usually in it. You know, if they change companies, they usually go to another golf company, right? Yeah. Everybody kind of knows each other. How did you guys go from idea and opportunity to, all right, we're going to do this. What's step one? What's step two? What's step three? What, what is your guys' progression to actually getting it live? Yeah, I mean, the first step was validation. How do we validate that this is a thing, that this is, there is product market fit here, that there's anybody out there that would want to buy this? Like, it's what I want. I'm shopping. I don't see anything I, I like. This is what I would like. Does anybody else want that? If so, let's build something. So initially, you know, one of our early taglines was big on style, smart on price. And what we thought would be really cool is a more individualistic, customizable styled club where you could pick your grip color, your shaft color, and your head colors and kind of have some cool ability to play with white, black, gray, and maybe a few other colors and, and feel like you really put together this signature set of your own. And we're like, man, that seems like that'd be really cool. So we, well, actually, that was, that was stage two. Let me, let me go back to stage one. So stage one was um, we ran a test on a service called PickFU where we, we took a Strata set at 250, um, tailor-made at 1,000 for irons, and then we put uh, our own rendering of a custom design that we had done. I work with a world-class industrial designer uh, who, who designed the original Chromecast. And he put together just a conceptual golf club design that was just a little unique and, and different from anything out there. We put our irons at 500, basically just testing, hey, we're an unknown brand with a, with a kind of out there design that looks very millennial, Kickstarter. Um, and let's just put it up against these other options. Now, with PickFU, it's a very broad audience. It's not targeted at all. But we were just like, let's just see what people think. And you know, best case, everybody loves it. And it's like a home run. Worst case, nobody likes it because either I'm going to go cheap or I'm going to go brand credibility. And I'm not interested in a new brand seems too risky. Uh, and this price point doesn't justify that. And we captured about 30% of a, of a completely broad audience that were like, yeah, this mid price point with a cool, unique design and a, and a new, uh, new brand, that's what I would do. Um, and that was enough validation for us to say, okay, let's take it to the next level. You know, if 30% of a random audience that are not even golfers just kind of get the concept and say that's what they would buy if they were shopping, now let's go target golfers. Let's run some ads to some landing pages and see, see what we can learn. So then we run ads still with this idea of customizable golf clubs, which I was just mentioning. Pick, pick some colors, maybe configure your set to just get the clubs you want. Like, let's see if customization is a big factor. So we run our first test and we drive hundreds of people to a landing page. Um, and, and, you know, that's proof in itself. We were able to reach an audience at a reasonable price, drive conversions um, at a competitive rate. And what we learned from that test was given the option to customize all these things with hundreds of respondents 100 percent chose the same combination black on black on black <laughs> and then we learned who was responding to these ads 
uh, and, and maybe I won't, won't pull back the curtain all the way on this stuff, but sure. um, we, we learned who was responding to these ads. We learned what they wanted. We did a few more iterations on price and quality and design to kind of narrow down what these people wanted um, to the point that we were like, man, we can reach a lot of people really fast and they want this. Um, so that was kind of like the, the digital advertising, um, what we call a demand test. Um, and we, we thought it was enough uh, proof that we could go to the next level, which was yeah. cool, people want it. Now, Evan, to your point, like supply chain, uh, golf club designers, how do you actually go build these things now? Um, so I was fortunate enough early on to work with uh, the founder of Hydroflask, and we did some manufacturing vetting and um, got the pricing together to see can't people want clubs at this price point, this design? Can we build a profitable business around that? Can we get these made, shipped, boxed, marketed, delivered to the customer, QA, return all, you know, run all the numbers? Can we make this thing happen? Um, was kind of the, the step we did next once we felt like, hey, we can reach an audience that this resonates with. Now can we make it happen? Sure. Okay, that's, that's kind of a fascinating run through. And I, I want you to go into a little more about the, some of the technology and the approach to the look and built, you know, how you built these clubs. You know, it's funny, the black on black. It's amazing when, you know, big golf companies started making gunmetal or, you know, um, different colored wedges and irons too. And there's been some people flock to that stuff because yeah. it looks different. So I think you're, to, to the listeners out there, when they go and see Sticks Golf, the clubs are beautiful. So talk about the design approach and the technology that you guys implemented. Yeah, so one of the other things we didn't like when we went golf shopping is we did not, we didn't love the design of anything, right? Everything was over-designed, grooves, uh, you know, lines, bright colors, craziness down the shaft. Actually, the yeah. sample set I originally got from the manufacturer had lightning bolts all down the shaft. And I was like, this is the epitome yeah. of what we don't want. Uh, yeah. And I think you look at Harry's Razor, you look at Casper, you look at Warby Parker, the millennial consumer values and appreciates minimalism. And every set of clubs you see coming out is just more noise, more grooves, more colors, more craziness. And actually, yeah. it does get a little better the more expensive you get, which is funny. Minimalist design doesn't cost anything, but you can't get it. You can't get it until you're paying through the nose. Yeah. All the cheaper stuff, it's like it's weird how price point determines design when it really doesn't cost anything. For sure. Uh, the the which is funny because it's like the lower price point seems like it should be more um, widely accessible, yet it's more ugly. <laughs> yeah. And maybe yeah. that's by design to drive people into the more expensive stuff. But we were like, you know, if we want to provide the best quality clubs we can at a minimal price point, like a Harry's Razor, um, we can afford design. We can afford to make it look great. Especially when, when our approach was, let's just strip away everything. Let's just strip away all the nonsense that we don't believe in 
that it's not, you know, are people not going to buy our drivers because we don't have a bunch of crazy grooves down the bottom and the top because they think the aerodynamics are going to, you know, they're not going to be able to play golf? I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you look at you look at a Gillette Razor, and it's all crazy. And yeah, a lot of design went into it. Maybe a lot of user testing about where your fingers fall to get the right grip. And but it's gotten crazy, right? It looks like a looks like a UFO. Um, and then Harry's Razor come out, and it's a very simple ergonomic grip, no nonsense, gets the job done. You know what it reminds me of, Gabe? Is um, I remember. I don't know if this is when I was in advertising or or college, but. There was some study <clears throat> around five gum. You remember five gum? No. Um, five gum was, they were known for their ads of like, they awaken your senses. And so there's these elaborate ads where someone's laying on like all of these aluminum balls that are shaking are really cold. And it's about like the refreshment you feel, right? But what made five gum really successful, and this yeah. is, their ads were powerful, but they called it the, um, the buck tooth effect or um, if, if you think about the, the gum aisle in a grocery store um, when you're in the checkout, it's all colors and white. And what Five Gum did is they put a gap in between that. And so they were all black, right? And suddenly when everyone was trying to become cool and, and flashy with a different color, this line of gap, this, this black gum right in the middle captured the attention. That's and awesome. this reminds me a lot about that. And it's interesting too, Gabe, because, you know, we've talked off air many times now. And uh, when I was working with TaylorMade, it was, a pretty, it was pretty much a requirement that every time we rolled out a new club, there needed to be a brand new color that they didn't have in the previous years because that allowed us to own a color. That's why you'll see it's very rare that a tailor-made brand new club and a Callaway as let's talk drivers just for simplicity, they yeah. rarely have the same color scheme because Callaway right now wants to own orange for Maverick and tailor-made wants to own blue with yeah. the SIM, right? Yeah. And that's kind of, that helps people kind of differentiate. But it's right. interesting because, you know, you guys are kind of like the five gum and your yeah. point about design. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's cool when you can be different by um, being less complicated. I mean, I love the, I love the quote because I'm a, I'm a designer by trade. It's, um, by, at, uh, my, my education is in design. I've, I've uh, been a creative director. I've run my own creative studio. Um, I've, I've been a co-founding CTO of, of tech startups, um, but design uh, is my background, but I love the quote, design is not complete when there's nothing left you can add, but when there's nothing left that you can take away. Mm -hmm. right. this is, that's a mantra that many designers operate under is, you know, as a, as a young, I mean, if you go to a design school and you see people early stage designs when they're, when they're learning, they just try to add a bunch of crazy all over the place, you know? And then when you see, um more advanced designers later on in their careers it's amazing what can be done with simplicity less is more right yeah well so it's 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 fascinating because if you go to stickscoff.com and you you look at these clubs they look different right so gabe what's the 
I mean, you're trying to grow every day, but if I were to walk into a pro shop, if I were to walk into a merchandise show and I see six clubs next to all the major brands, my eyes are going to you guys. Yeah. So what are the plans for, you know, as you grow and maybe there are, you know, the, of getting those clubs out into more you know, physical spaces for people to realize, I want to try, I want to try those because they, because they look great already, you know? Yeah. So, you know, retail, we want to be a direct consumer brand. We want to get people uh, the highest quality clubs we can at this mid price point. Uh, adding a retailer in that needs to take a cut affects that goal. It's challenging. I also think the demographic I really want to activate is one who's not shopping for golf clubs. Interesting. So the people that trip across us on Instagram are pleasantly surprised. I never upgraded my clubs in 20 years. And I think there is a, there is a dormant audience out there that has seen the options. They don't like the options. They haven't upgraded in a decade. And when they see these, they're like, finally, a decent price, great looking quality mm -hmm. set. Now I'm interested. Um, we, we talk about that, like we target that ideally, mm -hmm. and we pick up all kinds of, all kinds of variety along the way. We've had women order our clubs. We've had uh, seniors order our clubs. Even though we're targeting a certain demographic, we're picking up a lot of uh, users across the gamut. And we want to become um, more accessible. One of our big goals is to make golf more accessible. I think golf knows that it needs to become more accessible. I think that's why Callaway just bought Top Golf. Yep. Uh, people know that the equipment price, Evan, like you talked about, is a barrier to entry on playing this game, which is why Top Golf is uh, so popular because people don't need gear to go play there. But by the time you're going to own your own gear and pay green speeds, it's a big, it's a big hurdle. So we love to help make golf more accessible uh, through through uh, creating quality equipment at a reasonable price. Um, but as far as reaching a broader audience, we're looking for ways to keep it simple, uh, but make it accessible to that whole range from, uh, from short to tall, from slow swing, swing speed to fast swing speed, both genders, um, without creating nine different models. Yeah. So we're, we're exploring ways to do that uh, because women love our clubs. Women are, are offended with the yeah. current state of women's club design. Yeah. Well, I can, I can yeah. talk about so, that. So yeah. here's the story, game. I, I told you this a little bit um, this week. But so you guys were nice enough to send me a set so that yeah. we could test it. And um, I've always liked the look of them. You know, black on black's a good look. But my girlfriend loved the look. <laughs> Like yeah. she, like I, she was a little bit hesitant to spend like $75 on a Seamus head cover for her driver, but because of the look it created for her bag, she's got a black yeah. on black bag. It was like, she wants a good looking set. Yeah. Right. And she's got like her dad, I think got her some like pretty expensive Yonix, uh, female clubs and she hit some good. Um, but we went to the range together this past week. And uh, she loved the look, like loved them, kept going on about it. And she was hitting them better than hers. Oh, wow. Okay. And, 
And so this is, but here's what I really want to talk but about. She loves the look. It, it's a mental yeah. thing that gets her started, right? And they Yeah, she good. was excited. <laughs> she was excited to hit him. But here's the thing that I was most looking forward to talk to you about. So something happened. So you sent, you know, unfortunately, I couldn't get a stiff set. So I was right. hitting regular flex. I was a little weary if I was even going to be able to technically review them because I've got new irons coming that I bought two months ago that haven't arrived that are extra stiff in my irons. All my woods are extra stiff. So I was like, Oh wow, I haven't hit a regular shaft maybe ever. Um, these are probably going to like duck hook and I might break the shaft by swinging it and like, you know, all these things. But here's the funny thing. I went to hit it and I hit them pretty good. I mean, I'm talking from pitching wedge to driver. I thought driver was going to be all over the place especially for a guy that's got a big miss with his extra stiff driver. But the crazy thing was, is now I'm sure over time, like that shaft's not meant for me, I'll probably be inconsistent with it. But the point that I could hit that well at the range tells me that maybe there's something going on where the technology isn't doing as much as maybe I thought. Right. right. And that was really eye opening to me because I didn't think I could hit a regular flex well. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge difference from an extra stiff. And I right. hit it well. Yeah. I love like, that. I love that point because I think uh, so. My uh, head of RD is my brother in law, and he was the first skeptic of sticks. Everybody was kind of a fanboy out of the gate, but he early on. I actually introduced him to golf and then he, he nerded out way harder than me and, and he didn't have kids and he was playing hundred rounds a year. Um, and, and he was hook, line and sinker, whatever the golf industry tells me I'm all in. Right. And so he, when I told him about sticks, he's like, dude, that's not going to work. That's not how people buy golf clubs. Um, I, I golf with a bunch of guys. This is how this world thinks about it. Yada, yada, yada. And I was like, I don't think those guys are my target demographic, but what you just said uh, is what he has converted to. He, he was the same way. It's all about the tech. It's all about all this stuff that I read about and, and, you know, he'd been fitted and all this stuff. And then he came out to our first demo day with a, a broad range from, from 18 year olds to 70 year olds and everybody's hitting them. And this was before he was on the team. This was what, uh, he was actually just in town and he came out and saw this. This is what sold him on joining the team. He actually, uh, after this event, he moved out to, from, Chicago, from Seattle to Chicago to join the team. So he's like, you're onto something. All these guys that have it in their head that they need all this super expensive stuff, they all hit your clubs just as good or better than theirs. Yeah. Like just, just proving that there's a lot of just gimmick nonsense out there. Uh, that is scientific. There is data. Right? If you've got a perfect swing, yes, different clubs will do different things. Uh, but as humans, uh, there's a lot of factors. Yeah, and I think, you know, you guys with regular and stiff, like, too often, and we're not picking on Ev here, but people think they need heavier shafts than what they actually need. And a lot of time, that's around a heavier shaft is going to help you, you know, not hit a shot to the left. Right. So, but a lot of young pros over the years have gone to lighter shafts. And I think 
you know, it's kind of your guys' mantra of this return to simplicity and, right. you know what I mean? Not always tinkering to, right? right? Does that yeah. make sense, Gabe? Well, yeah, and usually the tinkering is like, I'm not going to fix my swing. I'm going to move this weight, <laughs> you know? Right. And, and, then it, and then your swing changes, and now that weight's not in the right spot. And if you can just kind of, you know, if you can learn to make the adjustments to your swing, uh, if you can actually, you know, what we say is like, what if you take, you know, the 2000 and instead of buying a $2,000 set of clubs, buy sticks yeah. and use the rest of that money for some lessons and some green fees, right? And you'll be in better shape than <laughs> what this, the promise of this expensive set would do for you. Right. 100%. Totally. So Gabe, can people go and, and buy them right now at sticks.golf or what's the status for people that hear this and say, I got to go? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've been in pre-order. So we, we sold out of our first run way faster than we expected. Uh, we've ramped up manufacturing and we've been in pre-order. We're now out of pre-order. Uh, we can ship in seven to 10 days right now and that'll speed up in the next right. couple of months. Um, but yep, they're, they're on sale at the moment from seven ninety nine to $6.99. Uh, so yeah, go get them. Sweet. That's great. And we're on, uh, Gabe, we're on social. Uh, everybody be looking for you as well. Uh, on social, yeah. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Sticks Golf Gear. And that's S-T-I-X for you guys. Um, awesome. Well, Gabe, I'm so glad we could do this. I, I think it's just, you know, we don't talk about equipment that much on this podcast. We've, you know, we've had the Adams CEO and we've had Superspeed a couple of times who's a partner. Um, but I think this was important because I think it's interesting to talk about, you know, we've kind of been, we've kind of seen the golf ball category get disrupted, yeah. um, but we haven't really seen the clubs get disrupted and challenged and for probably all the barriers and challenges we talked about. But I think you guys are doing something that's different and I think our listeners will really appreciate it. So um, thanks for coming on. We're rooting for you. And uh yeah, guys, go check it out. Sticks.golf. They look great and they feel great. We've got testimonials coming through. <laughs> yeah. I got to send them back today. <laughs> I got to send you them back today. You're having a hard time letting them go, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> I want to, you know, we might have to work something out. I think my girlfriend doesn't want to let them go. So we might have to talk. Off All air. right. Well, thank you guys for your time. Yeah, thanks, Gabe. Take care. All right. All right.